The following is a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of 900 CHML. We are planning your financial future. I'm Scott Thompson. Don Fox, along with Gary Hogan, are here from Fox Group Private Wealth Management. You can find out more at donfox.net or you can call them at IG Private Wealth Management at 905-972-7420. Good morning, gentlemen. Good to see you all. Good morning. Obviously, uh, pandemic still in full swing. Lots of us still working from home. Gary, you want to start off with balancing that uh, working from home and work-life balance. Yeah, I thought that would be interesting today, Scott. And, and you know, we, we talk a lot about uh, when we talk about financial planning with respect to our clients, uh, f- you know, the financial objectives as well as the lifestyle objectives always go hand in hand. And, uh, you know, and, and one really affects the other. So it, it's interesting just in the, in the past week uh, in the news, of course, there's been a lot said and printed about the Working for Workers Act that the provincial government uh, has uh, has passed. It was initially proposed in October, and it and it received uh, unanimous support. So I thought I would just touch on that a little bit, and um, because I, I think there's a there's a lot of interesting uh, components to that. So um, we know that uh, people working from home, there's uh, there's been a lot of issues that have arisen, you know, throughout COVID in terms of the the lines between work time and personal time being blurred. Uh, there are a lot of people who have, you know, found it rather difficult in terms of when do I shut down, and uh, and when do I work, uh, because the you know the structure, uh, if you will, the the typical structure that people have been used to has been uh, has been removed in many cases for those working from home. So uh, you know people working remotely um, really are experiencing you know both sides of the equation. The the intent of the act really is is to create simply to create a better work-life balance, hopefully for workers. And the, this is one of those situations where there are people on both sides of the fence in terms of how they view this, uh, because it is an example of the government getting involved in things that in some people's minds, certainly uh, perhaps they have no right to. So it, it is an interesting law and it will be very interesting also to see how um, employment and labor lawyers over the next while sort through this and uh, and deal with different uh, issues that have been brought to their attention as well. So the, the Minister of Labor basically, you know, said that we've we've introduced these measures to make it easier to spend time with family and loved ones. Uh, it's a great thing for government to say, naturally. <laughs> and uh, and by requiring most workplaces to have a right to disconnect policy. So that's a pretty nebulous, uh, pretty vague phrase. So we'll have to see, you know, as that unfolds, what that really means. Um, you know, there, there's obviously advantages uh, to the increased flexibility working from home. We know that, but it also has some downsides. You know, as I alluded to a few minutes ago, uh, you know, people will people that are working from home will comment that uh, that they're getting emails almost 24 uh, seven from their from their employer or employer related emails that they're getting. And, um, and, and that's, you know, that's been difficult for a lot of people to, to deal with. And it, it really um, is the polar opposite of the sort of traditional, you know, quote, unquote, nine to five workday. You know, so, Gary, that's a great point. That part of blurring the lines and employers kind of saying, okay, great, you can work from home. But at the same time, 
and they actually have rules right in a lot of the jobs description you cannot work x amount of hours more you know you can't work more than x amount of hours and you have to disconnect your your emails at a certain time yet these are actually policies in a lot of the corporations yet they don't abide by them right and so they're getting these emails and i've talked to a number of clients getting emails and things that you know nine ten o'clock at night going against their own policies so right. it, it, it's actually trying to, it's a disconnect between the policies and what actually is going on. Yeah, exactly. And, and you know, those expectations of, of uh, expanded availability uh, exist. And, you know, we, we certainly hear about that a lot. And, uh, and you're right, the, the, the policies that are in place, certainly in, in many cases are not being adhered to. There's, uh, there's been studies conducted and studies have found that uh, working from home has basically resulted in, in people working longer. Uh, and, and, you know, again, when you, when it's a clean slate every day and, and, and your job is, a is the type of job where, um, you, it's not time bounded at all. And there's X amount of work to do, which is usually a full day plus these days in, in most cases. Um, so a lot of people are finding that they're actually working longer hours working at home. And, you know, when we look at sort of a, a typical work week or a traditional work week of, uh, at least on paper, <laughs> 30, <laughs> 35 to 40 hours, you know, people are working, you know, 45, 50, 55 hours or, or more even. And, and it's, uh, it's actually, um, the studies determined that that's associated with a 35% increase in the risk of stroke and a 17% increase in the risk of dying from heart disease. So it's, and this isn't, you know, this isn't new data. It's, it's, uh, it's been released uh, currently, but it's it's data that's been gathered over time. So it really relates to uh, also people who are working at their workplace and working those kinds of hours. But but it's particularly prominent now with with people spending uh, you know more time working from home. You know when we look around the world at, at different cultures where uh, work life balance is is protected is formally protected. You know th those workers tend to enjoy better health outcomes, and that's also what the study determined. And in France, for example, a 35-hour work week was established in, in the year 2000 and, and, and abided by for the most part. And in January of 2017, the French government's uh, right to disconnect law, as they termed it, uh, came into force, which, uh, which includes work emails. So there's very strict uh, uh, prevention of people having to respond to, to work emails. Now, uh, that data has been published. What, of course, we don't know is is to what degree is that being adhered to. But yeah, and, and those work emails also, it's kind of interesting. The often employees are getting you know three, four, five weeks holidays per year, but again, there's blurred lines there too. It says, but they bring their their you know their iPhone, yeah. what have you, tablet yeah. with them on vacation, and it, it's they're not getting a full disconnect from work. So they're not actually getting a very relaxing vacation. So they come back and then there's a buildup of a thousand emails. So right. again, it's it's trying to relieve coming back from vacation, it becomes stressful too. Right. So yeah. it, it, well, this is a great topic from, uh, from an employer and employee um, standpoint. And you also have to wonder with what you're saying, Gary, I mean, are these rules that you're to abide by or are these just guidelines? So, you know, yeah, we'll yeah. keep sending you stuff all day, all night, but it's up to you whether you want to answer it or not. So, yeah, uh, you know, that, you sort of, you play at your own peril. 
Right, right, exactly. And, and, you know, that's precisely the, you know, the basis of the comment about, you know, the, the legal profession is going to have an interesting time with this. Yeah, uh, because because passing a law and then enforcing it, of course, with with many situations are two different things. There's a, a couple of things I just wanted to pull out of the, the act that I thought were interesting. Um, any employer with more than 25 employees uh, has to have written policies. Uh, about disconnecting and and to your point earlier don uh that does exist now <laughs> with with a lot of companies um but uh so that's being mandated and um allowing people to disconnect uh at the end of their work day and spend more time as i said earlier with their families uh, ban the use of non-compete agreements that prevent people obviously from exploring or pursuing uh, other work opportunities to advance their own careers. Now, that's a very interesting one. And that's not to be confused, of course, um, with non-solicitation clauses, because they're still uh, certainly in force uh, uh, based on what companies decide to use them. But certainly the, uh, the non-compete clause has always been a stickler for a lot of people. And uh, the government views that as standing in the way of people advancing and, and moving forward. Um, you know, there's a, there's a number of other things. Uh, when people come from other countries, they've been uh, prevented from uh, continuing their profession, uh, depending on where they come from and what their qualifications are. So they're trying to ease that, um, that, that uh, regulation now so that the people can step into the jobs that they were trained for in, uh, from other countries. Uh, I thought one that was really interesting, and it seems kind of trivial, but I guess not because I'm not a delivery person or, or a driver, but um, enforcing companies to allow uh, delivery people to use their business washrooms. Yeah. And uh, somebody, you know, somebody when they when they were putting together this uh, this act thought that that was uh, as critical as as some of the others. Um, well, particularly during uh, the pandemic. You, well, you're right. out on the road and you couldn't go to a McDonald's or any fast food place. You couldn't go anywhere and there was no washrooms available. It was actually, that, I could see that being an issue. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And, uh, you know, I just don't know. I mean, that's an odd, it, I see the validity, of course, but that's kind of an odd point <laughs> to put in with, with some of the others that, you know, that certainly it's, have a lot more substance. It's amazing that in this day and age, we have to really. Is, Good point, you know, Scott. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And I think, uh, I think another thing too, that, uh, you know, that we're seeing, which, which seems to be uh, more common than, than people might think is a lot of people who had to commute over the years felt that that was the worst part of their, of their job, if you will. Yet, uh, because people are having trouble disconnecting, um, people are, there's many people that are missing the commute because that was their opportunity to unwind or, or, make sure that they could have a different mindset by the time they got either to work or, or back home again. Wow. So, you know, we'll see what happens with, uh, with that as well. That's a, a fascinating point that I'd never even thought of. Cause as you said, most people uh, equate the drive with hell as opposed to <laughs> a time to come down and relax, perhaps on the way home, you know, the longer the traffic jam, the more time you have to, uh, to decompress, but, you know, there's so many different aspects to this we haven't even thought about yet. It's a very good point, Gary. We are planning our financial future. I'm Scott Thompson. Don Fox and Gary Hogan are here from Fox Group Private Wealth Management. You can find out more at donfox.net or call them at IG Private Wealth Management at 905-529-7165. We're going to take a quick break here. We're coming right back.
You are listening to a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of 900 CHML. We are planning your financial future. I'm Scott Thompson. Don Fox and Gary Hogan are here from Fox Group Private Wealth Management. You can call them now at IG Private Wealth Management at 905-529-7165. It's that time of the year where uh, you got to get all your ducks in a row and you want to talk about year-end tax strategy for both the employer and the employee. Yes, now that we've Found through Gary that um, the employees are all stressed out and year ends coming now. What it's a yeah, it's a double whammy. This pandemic's been tough on employees um, that have been staying at home, and uh, then at the same time, there's a there's a bunch of strategies they should look at before the year end. So repaying that CRB, the Canadian Recovery Benefit. Uh, so had you been say unemployed for a period of time, you collected. Uh, CRB, and you realize that you actually your net income exceeds thirty-eight thousand this year. You're going to be you're going to have to pay that back before the year end, or you're going to have to pay it back again later and be taxed on the full amount in your 2021 tax return. So it's it's a bit of a catch-22 with these benefits, as it should be. You know, it wasn't meant to be. Uh, you know, for those that didn't really need the funds, but those that did find a job later, they might have forgotten about this. So it's a good time to say, oh, yeah, back in May or, or whenever during early part of the year, I collected some benefits and I, I may have to pay tax on this. So look at paying those back. Let's talk about paying things back. A lot of the times employers will lend money to the employee and those loans are a taxable benefit if they aren't repaid back Um before December 31st. And so you make sure you pay those loans back. Um, if you were getting less than the prescribed rate set by the CRA, so you could have a, a loan to an employee, but it has to be non-arms length. So you, you gotta be careful with this too, with those family businesses, best to kind of repay those back and you could possibly get a loan in the future. But if you keep getting, you know, pay it back and then get a loan in January again, they could consider that a continuous loan and therefore it will be considered a taxable benefit. Uh, thirdly here is re- reduce your tax deductions at source. Now, this is uh, important for those that say had a life change, for example, a divorce, um, or you're making a lot of charitable donations, or you've started a, uh, you know, a RSP contribution. You're, those are all tax deductions. And if you like, you, instead of waiting for this massive tax refund in April, why not adjust your pay every two weeks? And so what you'll do, you tell the employer that I am making a, say, $1,000 per month alimony payment and show them some proof of this. They will then adjust the tax at its source. So if you're in a high tax bracket, and we'll just go with 50%, that would save you on $1,000. That's $500 tax savings per month. So instead of getting this big refund of $6,000 at the end of the year, you can get $500 more on your pay, which you may need, but more importantly, if you didn't need it, you could take that $500 and use that for a lot of different things. Of course, RSPs, so that would also help your taxes. Our ESPs for the kids, which again, if there is a divorce perhaps, um, that would might be a great idea to make sure that they're set up. Um, but anyway, it, it will add to your cash flow on a monthly basis rather, rather than having the government have all these funds saving for you, this big tax refund, you may be able to use those at, at a far better way. 
No, on the uh, on the uh, employer side, there's a, a lot of strategies that we should be looking at there. Um, first of all, there's some new rules for active business income, and basically, if you made over fifty thousand dollars in passive income in your business, so if you have a, you're running a business, but you've been investing in you know some investments that pay dividends or interest or even rent rental property perhaps and it's not your main business that will start to encroach on your small business deduction once you start making over fifty thousand dollars and in fact you'll lose your small business deduction once you start making over fifty thousand dollars in passive income so what does this mean well basically it's a 12 the small business tax rate is 12.5 percent in ontario versus 26.5% if you're not a small business. So obviously there's a, a, a large difference between tax brackets there. And you know this could be the difference of putting some money away to have expansion in your business, hiring more employees down the road. It's just one of those things. This is something that came out oh, a few years back and it comes to catch people on, off guard a little bit because they may have been putting money aside for uh, a massive expansion and then realize that they're offside on this this ruling and therefore they don't qualify for that small business deduction now at the end of the day once you start to pay this money back to you say in dividends so you've been putting this money aside um you're building funds inside the company and you say i'm going to pay myself a dividend well there's two dividends that you can collect as a shareholder of the business one is a non-eligible dividend and one is an eligible dividend. Well, that small business, it, 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 even though you do pay, if you're considered a small business and you qualified for the 12.5% tax bracket, you get hit later with a far higher taxes when you take the dividend out. So it does have an evening out effect. Um, an example, if your income was say between 45,000 and 49,000, you would pay 14% tax on that dividend. But if it was an eligible dividend, you'd pay zero tax on that. So they either get you sooner or later, but again, when it comes to tax planning, later is always better because you've got the funds in your pocket doing something that can help grow your business. So again, sit, sit down with your accountant and, and look for strategies. And there may be um, investments that do not create any passive income that could perhaps be capital gains that would not be part of this passive income strategy. Uh, business owners, just like people, uh, individuals, they can donate investments in kind. And this avoids the capital gain. So as we've talked about in previous shows, if you got say 100 shares of XYZ company and those shares have doubled over time and you want to donate those say to McMaster University or, or Canadian Cancer, it's best to donate them in kind, donate the whole security to them. And by doing so, that capital gain is not added to your taxes. Plus you get the full uh, donation receipt. The same applies to businesses. And so make sure you, you go to your favorite charity that the business has been supporting and, and ask them to open an account so that you can move those in kind rather than in cash, rather than cashing them in. And most, a lot of the charities are doing this anyway and they have the accounts open. Now, always good to defer tax. So if you were a, a business owner, you can always pay that bonus to your yourself January 
1st rather than December in December as we are now. And this is going to postpone that tax bill for you personally until April 2023 then instead of April 2022. Uh, paying salaries and dividends to family members is always a great idea. Um, in a nutshell, it's all about income splitting. I know they've really tried to limit the rules on this, but if you do have a family member somewhat tied to the business and is putting some hours working in the business, it doesn't have to be full time, but there, you, you should certainly speak to your tax accountant on this on how many hours would qualify. But if there's an opportunity to split income, always makes sense. So if you're in a 53% tax bracket and your son and daughter are you know, earning say 70,000 a year, and, and that's what you're paying them as a salary. Well, there might be an opportunity to pay them a dividend or a bonus and therefore split the tax because they're only in a 30% tax bracket. And you can go through the whole tax bracket chain, but at the end of the day, taking money out of the company and paying to a family member at 30% rather than yourself at 50% always makes sense. So look to your, uh, your tax accountant to see what's the best strategy for your particular situation because they have muddied the waters there. And they're disallowing, you know, in the in the past, they were allowing, you know, non-working uh, shareholders to get these nice dividends and then able to split the taxes that way. That's no longer the case. Uh, determine your compensation mix. This is extremely important. I, uh, I look at this all the time in terms of well, how much should you pay yourself in dividends or how much you should you pay yourself in, in uh, salary. And there's a lot of tax accounts I find says, oh, just pay yourself straight dividends. Well, that sounds great because you're gonna pay a lot less tax as an individual. Great idea. The company is gonna end up paying the tax on in some form, but sometimes it's better you think, oh, I'll let the company pay it rather than me personally. I'll get more money this way and I don't have to pay the tax bill. Well, the downside to this is you're not creating any RSP room because it's not considered earned income. So if you make, you know, say uh, $61,600, you would create $11,088 of RSP room. I said, okay, that's, and that's nice because it's nice to build up RSP room. So if you do have a, a, a big income down the road, you can save that up and use that when you say sell a, a security or a building where you have a large capital gain and you're in the 53% tax bracket. So you have this kind of a RSP room in the bank. So that's one reason. The reason I use 61,600 though, is because that is the Canada Pension Plan max limit, meaning that's the salary you need to, you, you need to earn in, in order to maximize your Canada Pension Plan. And so uh, what does that mean? Some people kind of say, well, what's Canada Pension Plan? Well, uh, to me, it's a fairly important part of a retirement. Right now, the maximum you can receive in Canada Pension Plan is 14,000 $445. And, you know, that's also indexed, which considering now inflation has been kind of rearing its ugly head a little bit, indexing becomes an issue. And index, of course, means going up by inflation. So that 14445 uh, I like to look at this as the base, a part of your retirement. So you get the government benefits as part of the base, old age security and candidate pension plan. You may not be able to rely on the old age security because it is income tested. And if your income's over 80,000 a year right now, it will be clawed back to 15 cents on every dollar. And basically is gone by the time you make about $128,000. Uh, 
However, CPP is there because you've contributed to it. Uh, secondly, if you happen to become disabled, it is, uh, it does, there's disability coverage within the Canada Pension Plan. It may not be the best disability insurance going, but it is something. And I have unfortunately come across people that did not contribute to CPP because they're self-employed getting dividends and they weren't contributing to CPP and therefore they didn't qualify for the disability coverage. Uh, and thirdly, survivor's benefit. If you're the sole breadwinner, it's almost an insurance policy against yourself or future income. If you pass away, your spouse that perhaps was not working, um, earning a living at least outside, would qualify for the survivor's pension from Canada Pension Plan. Again, but if you're not contributing to it, that does not go into the pot. So don't let the tax tail wag the dog is basically what I'm saying here, because a lot of people just look at the ways to save tax all the time, and they're not looking out on ways they should, the bigger picture, what if scenarios. And I know Gary and I, we often talk about what the what if scenarios and all our planning, and it's not just linear thinking, oh, we got to save as much tax as possible. Yes, that is nice, but it, you got to look at that as part of the equation in a financial plan. You know, Don, a really good example of that too are, as you know, of course, are investments that uh, historically that provided a tremendous tax break and, and people were, you know, gravitated towards those uh, often, but those types of investments also were extremely risky and that's why there were tax advantages <laughs> to encourage the investment. Absolutely. We're seeing a lot of those audited seven years later and having to repay all those tax breaks because they were never there to make profit. Absolutely, Gary. Great example. Uh, another option is purchasing your company from your vehicle. Uh, sorry, purchasing your vehicle from your company, rather. You know what? There's a standby charge by having this company vehicle. And it gets it's the same standby charge all the time, even though the company vehicle is depreciated in value over the years. Well, if it's depreciated a lot, you may be able to have an opportunity to buy it right out and therefore negate any future standby charges. Because why should you pay this you know, high standby charge for a vehicle that used to cost be worth 50,000, now it's only worth say 20,000. And finally, this is one all employees love is making that gift or award to an employee. You can gift $500, now that is after HST or GST, to an employee, to all your employees, and it's not taxable to them. It's still tax deductible to the employer. And so if your employer, uh, if you're, but the thing is, it can be a, it has to be a non-cash gift. So you have to go buy that iPad or barbecue or what have you under $500, including tax, you find out what the employee would like to get and give the whole gift as a, as, as a Christmas gift or what have you. And that would be a tax-free gift. Now, if you were to do it by money, here's a cash, it'd be taxable. So that $500 would be equivalent to $758 if your employees had made $100,000 a year because they're in a 43% tax bracket, would have to pay tax on it, and then they net out at $500. Plus, I find employees just love gifts rather than the cash. The cash kind of gets buried with other things. And next thing you know, they have to spend that on their kids' gifts normally, okay? This is their gift. They get to keep the gift. And this is what really, is, it's a great way to help the culture in your company at the same time. I'm surprised that more people would pick the gift than the cash. You'd, they'd rather have the cash? Yeah, well, you know, the I, nice I would thing think. The, the employer makes the call on that. So the employer will give them the gift and they don't get the cash. Now, 
that being said, usually there's a few things they always like. And it might be, again, Apple products have been, you know, earbuds, et cetera, have been really high on the list. And so they get those earbuds rather than getting the cash and then buying the earbuds. This way, they end up actually with more money in their pocket. Good point. Good point. We are planning your financial future. I'm Scott Thompson. Don Fox and Gary Hogan are here from Fox Group Private Wealth Management. You can call them now at IG Private Wealth Management, 905-972-7420. Going to take a quick break here. We're coming right back. You are listening to a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of 900 CHML. We are planning your financial future. I'm Scott Thompson. Don Fox and Gary Hogan are here from Fox Group Private Wealth Management. You can find out more at donfox.net and call them at IG Private Wealth Management at 905-972-7420. All right, Gary, you want to talk about client uh, focus reforms. I guess this is between the client and the financial planner? Well, it's uh, yes, in a sense, it's it's actually uh, something that is uh, is getting a lot of traction right now, Scott. And uh, it's also a part of it is a is an issue or a point that uh, you and Don were chatting about some time ago on the show. Uh, the the elimination of part of this uh, issue is the elimination of third party investment funds that the uh, the bank owned investment dealers have purged from their their product shelf. And I think it's, it's probably uh, best to, to backtrack uh, just for a moment. Uh, so we've always operated in this industry, we've always operated, uh, one of the principles that we've operated from is, is the know your client principle. And, and that's uh, pretty straightforward. We can't give advice unless we know all the pertinent information about a particular client's situation and what they want to accomplish, uh, risk tolerances and, and things like that. Um, so that has always been something that has been monitored by the regulators as well. Um, now, very recently, uh, the concept of a know your product uh, principle has been rolled out. And now we are, we are accountable for, for ensuring that we fully understand what products we are offering to our clients. And that may sound a little redundant to some of the listeners, because obviously we should know a great deal about the, the various investment vehicles that we're recommending. But um, what's, what's really happened now and uh, the, actually the government approached the Ontario Securities Commission and they have asked them to launch a review of bank-owned dealers' investment fund shelves. And with a view that if, uh, if, companies, if, if these companies have restricted their product shelf and eliminated third-party funds, then they're not in a position to offer clients a full shelf. To, to address and satisfy all the basic uh, needs and wants that, that investors might have. And quite frankly, it's very biased, Gary. You yeah. know, they're, and it seems to be very self-serving. How can we maximize our profits from our clients rather than looking after the client's best interests? Right, exactly. So, so this is, it's really interesting because of course, as you know, Don, over the years, uh, companies have expanded their product shelves yes. and, and, and rolled out you know, a whole myriad of different types of products to satisfy, again, satisfy the broadest range of, of needs. And, and so this has been a real turn in the opposite direction. And, and I know when we, uh, we first heard about this, it was, it was very surprising that, that this would actually take place. And so the, the government, of course, in their investigation, 
is is going to determine in their view whether or not these changes have been made uh, from a self-serving standpoint uh, to you know kind of an avoidance issue in terms of um, of, of dealing with the, the know your product principle. So uh, the you know, investigation- and we were very surprised as you mentioned, Gary, because our company, IG Wealth Management, has gone the exact opposite way. Exactly. We've actually we've actually gone with more product uh, out third party carriers on our shelf, and they're actually going the opposite. So yes, totally going yeah. against the grain. Yeah, and it, so it's it's very surprising. So this investigation will will be conducted, and uh, it's also going to include uh, a number of other factors that that uh, the OSC is going to look into. Um, I don't know if if many of the listeners are are familiar with the term tide selling. Uh, that is a concept, that, of course, we've you know we've known about and understood existed um, in the in the industry, particularly in the in the uh, where there's a lending division as well as an investment division, and uh, and and what happens and and I'm sure that there's some listeners who have been through this where um, they're told that if uh, if they're if they're applying for a mortgage or they're renewing a mortgage, if they move their investment vehicles over to that institution, then they will get a better mortgage rate. And of course, that that is not uh, something that is, uh, from a legal perspective, in terms of the regulators, is acceptable, and it puts it puts undue pressure on people to make decisions and so on. And so the OSC is looking at this from an investment perspective. But obviously, if if there's a if there's a sense of uh, of pressure to uh, to lean towards a certain investment because that will get you a better lending rate, then that may not always be obviously. In, in that particular uh, investor or, or customer's best interest. So, you know, these are some of the things that, that they're looking at. And, and also, um, you know, this, this will probably go on for some time, I would think, because um, it will take a while to, to sort of sort out this know your product situation and whether or not, you know, it, it's deemed that, uh, that these financial institutions are actually uh, the reasons why they actually limited their product shelf. And, and, you know, at the end of the day, if you are a, a bank customer, perhaps, and you're going through a financial planning process, I would highly recommend getting a second opinion and see what the other side of the street as a, as a real financial planner would do in terms of what they would choose for their products versus what the bank is choosing and, you know, the pros and cons of both. Personally, I don't see a pro for having your own product shelf only with no option to go outside of that shelf. Yeah, and you know, and ironically, years and years ago, that was the the main objection that these same companies uh, shared with potential clients about investors group about IG Wealth Management. Because years ago, of course, we had our own dedicated pro- uh, product shelf, and uh, and over the years, that's been evolved because because it's necessary. It's necessary to be able to service you know, the, the, the broad expectations and needs. So here we are now in a situation where, where things are, you know, as we said earlier, totally opposite. And uh, it'll be very interesting to see what the outcome is of this, this investigation. We are planning your financial future. I'm Scott Thompson. Don Fox and Gary Hogan are here from Fox Group Private Wealth Management. You can find out more at donfox.net or you can call them at IG Private Wealth Management, 905-972-7420. Going to take a quick break here. We're coming right back. You are listening to a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of 900 CHML. 
We are planning our financial future. I'm Scott Thompson. Don Fox and Gary Hogan are here from Fox Group Private Wealth Management. You can find out more at donfox.net or call them at IG Private Wealth Management at 905-972-7420. Going to talk about the 4% rule. What's that, Don? Yes, the 4% rule is always been, it's a guideline that's saying, okay, if you've got X amount of dollars, if you take 4% of that out per year, you're going to be fine. And you, in fact, you can index that per year at retirement and you'll never run out of money. So that was the guideline saying, okay, if you're 65 and you take out 4%, which would be 40,000 a year on a million dollar portfolio. So you have this $40,000 income coming out and next year you get an increase with inflation and you bump that with inflation year after year after year. Great program. It was based on a portfolio of 50% stocks and maybe 60% stocks and the other portion in fixed income. And this has been tried and true for decades and it always basically worked out. That being said, we, we, we've talked about this uh, a year or so ago, Scott, and, and the biggest problem with it is the fixed income part was earning such a low rate of return with interest rates so low. And it was starting to say, people are starting to think, well, does this 4% rule still work? They tr tested and it still pretty much worked. No problem. People at 65 could live to 95 and wouldn't run out of money, even with the lower interest rate environment. Because you have to remember, the idea is you're, you're taking some of the income and you're taking some of the principal. And you were indexing. Inflation was about one and a half to 2%. Well, now we've got a kind of a double whammy right now. We've got the lower interest rates and we've got high inflation. And so inflation at say four and a half percent, that changes the ballgame altogether because your needs would go up incrementally. So the, so the interest rates, uh, sorry, the inflation rate really made a big difference. And a perfect example, if, you've, uh, if you had a million dollars at 4%, 40,000, as I mentioned, and if you lived to 95, well, at 2% inflation, you would need 72,000 a year by the time you hit 95. But at 4% inflation, you need 130000 a year. Massive difference just because of inflation. So we're not saying they're getting, increasing their lifestyle at all. We're, they're simply maintaining the lifestyle, and the lifestyle is costing more. And, and of course, there's two parts of this. Inflation is, is part of it, but also longevity. Because if you, if you only live to 85, instead of needing $130,000, you only need 87600 so the longer you live, the, the, you know, the more you need. And of course, the higher the inflation, the more you need. So the, add this into the whole equation, say, okay, does this 4% rule work? And I can't stress this enough. Sit down with a financial planner and stress test your financial plan. Go through those what-if scenarios. And, and I know in the software that Gary and I use, and all, all our whole team use, it goes through, okay, what if inflation was to double? How does that affect your, your um, chance to retire uh, comfortably for the rest of your life based on your lifestyle? And we put these right into the plan. And we're using, what if the, what if the rate of returns weren't 5%, they're only 4%, what happens? So you, having a, a really stress test financial plan is, is a key part to make sure that you're okay. The other part of a stress test is Monte Carlo analysis. I know we've talked about this many times on the show, but this is what if there's a bear market and therefore, you know, you're pulling funds out when the market's down and how is that going to affect it? Are you still able to maintain that 4% rule per se? So I always looked at this 4% rule kind of 
with some skepticism because there's a lot of what ifs that go into every financial plan. And so you have to look at the withdrawal and strategies about the withdrawal. And so if the market is down and there's a bear market, and we went through this in 08, 09, Gary, Jay, Mitch, and myself, well, Mitch wasn't on the team at that time, but the whole point is we're moving funds, um, their withdrawals out of the fixed income. So they weren't touching their equities. Um, we, we put off major purchases during that time, say, okay, maybe not buy a car right yet. Let's buy a car next year. So making differences to their lifestyle or where they're pulling the funds from during down markets made a big difference and allowed them to take that 4% strategy into the future. So some people say, well, it's no problem. I'll just, be, I'll just take on more risk. I'll go with 75% equities. That doesn't bode too well during bear markets because again, the markets are down and now you need funds. And the opposite saying, well, let, I'm gonna go safer and that way I don't have to worry about that ups and downs of the market. Well, that's a catch 22 because no, the interest rates are lower and you're gonna run out of money. So again, 4% rule is really a guideline. I wouldn't call it a rule. It should be called the 4% guideline. And the real rule is sit down with a financial planner to go through your financial plan that is to your situation. We have been planning your financial future. I'm Scott Thompson. Don Fox and Gary Hogan have been here from Fox Group Private Wealth Management. You can find out more at donfox.net or call them at IG Private Wealth Management at 905-972-7420. Another great one, gentlemen. Thanks so much. The preceding was a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of 900 CHML.